Welcome to the Geek-Centric Podcast, and welcome to our spoiler-filled discussion for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Shuri, show him who you are. Hey there, my name is Nate, and this is our spoiler-filled discussion for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. If you're joining us for the first time, we are Geekcentric, a podcast focusing on the world of movies, TV shows, games, toys, and collectibles, and all things Geekcentric. Now, I'm stoked to get into this uh, this review or this, this spoiler-filled discussion, uh, but before we do, I also want to let you know that if you're like us and you love the world of Star Wars, we currently have our Watch Club for Star Wars Andor going on right now with our first three episodes out, covering the episodes one to three, four to six, and seven to nine of that series, uh, and we go deep into our theories and speculation, as well as our thoughts on each episode, uh, and once episode uh, 10, 11, 12 have come out, uh, we'll have our final Watch Club episode out for that. So keep your ears and your eyes peeled because there's a rebellion growing and you can be a part of it. All right, let's uh, let's get to those uh, these spoilers. And again, this will be spoiler filled. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, what are you doing? Stop listening, go watch it, and then come right back here in a snap. Now, joining me for this even deeper dive into the depths of Talokan and, and this movie, uh, we have... From a land we didn't know existed, the ruler of the free oceans, Kevin the Kukul Khan Hudson. How you doing, guys? I am ready to you Bombay. <laughs> That's it, absolutely. <laughs> uh, which I just recently read. It was Yi Bombay. Like I was like, I don't know. It, it, they say an E Bombay or B Bombay or you know Yi yeah, Bombay. About... It means to hold fast. Okay, good to know. Wow, coming in with the facts already. Uh, joining us as well from a remote mission off the Atlantic seaboard, we've got the leader of the Dimension of Dangerous Districts. He's Director Darcy the Hospitable Hudson. Not really sure how to how to go off that. <laughs> Com- comparing me to Val is kind of... I don't know how to feel about that right now. I don't know much. I was about thinking character. more Nick Fury director. Okay, there's hey, more than one director. The one director we see in this movie is Val. So I'm sorry, my <laughs> mind went there. <laughs> one director sounds like a terrible boy band in the MCU. I don't think I'd want to listen to that. Um, how are both of you doing now? You've finally seen uh, Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. Uh, I mean. I can honestly say this is not my favorite movie of Phase 4. Uh, I did enjoy parts of it, but the parts I did not enjoy kind of brought me out of it a bit. So, I mean, excited to see what you think about it, because uh, from your reviews that I've seen on the socials, you really enjoyed it. So I'd love to love to get that aspect from you. Yeah, yeah, we'll put, we'll might, we might be fighting back and forth like, uh, like Shuri and Namor a little <laughs> bit in this movie. <laughs> I think so. I mean, this movie's definitely a roller coaster, and not just... Uh, from an emotional standpoint, because it certainly is in that regard. Uh, but I think so much of it works really, really well, and then other things just kind of, kind of took the plunge, if you will, for me. And so it was a bit of an up and down experience. So yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to breaking down what really worked, what didn't quite work so much, and uh, I can't wait to uh, hear what Darcy thinks it all means going forward. Yeah, that's that's going to be a good one. We're going to save that for the very end. But uh, before we get to the discussion overall for the movie, I wanted to start off by, you know, uh, I think this movie 
does such a phenomenal job. And we talked in our spoiler-free review about how well this movie does honor Chadwick Boseman and T'Challa. Uh, and I'm sure we're going to have more to say on that discussion as well. But to start off, I wanted to kind of discuss some of Chadwick's other roles and ask, besides T'Challa, what was one other character that resonated with you that was performed uh, by the late, great Chadwick Boseman? I think... I think... Uh, maybe my favorite role of Chadwick outside of uh, of uh, T'Challa uh, would definitely have to be Jackie Robinson from the movie Forty Two. Obviously, yeah. being a sports guy, uh, that just that seems like a given. But he also just brings so much poise and dignity to a very important character from the the twentieth century. Uh, I don't know of anybody else who was who was right for that role quite like Chadwick was, and. Uh, I just think he brought so much levity, and it was nice to to bring awareness to a very important uh, human figure, and he did it with just, again, such grace, just all of those sort of characteristics that Chad, Chadwick is known for. Uh, he's got the comedic chops. He hits those powerful emotional moments really well. Um, and, yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, movie. And, you know, speaking of biopics that he starred in, he's also really good as Thurgood Marshall in the movie Marshall. Uh, he just, again, he's, he's one of those actors that... You know, he he can be all of these different people and find the energies and, and what makes those people unique. He just had that gift to be able to bring it to the screen. So he will definitely be missed for 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 that and, and many, many other reasons. I think he's he was always picking and choosing roles that he knew would make an impact. Like he he, he found these these people to, to portray uh, that he knew he could sort of. Uh, get his message across to the world and uh, he definitely did yeah I mean I'm not the biggest uh, or most well-versed in uh, Chadwick Boseman's uh, you know filmography that he's done Uh, I the only other one that I can remember really seeing was 42 and I do agree with Kevin his his talent in bringing that character life and addressing such like deep historical issues while again having the chops to go to that later side when he needs to was, was so well done. And again, that if you haven't seen that movie, it's worth checking out. As a sports fan, I even enjoyed it. Or not a non-sports fan, even I enjoyed that film. Cool. Yeah, that's one I haven't I haven't actually checked out. So I definitely, I'm starting to like sports things now because Kevin's got me on that train. <laughs> oh, and 42 is amazing between Ch- Chadwick and, yeah. and Harrison Ford. It's, it's an awesome movie. I mean, Chadwick's so good. I don't know if you guys have seen Gods of Egypt, uh, which is no, not... It's not a very good movie, but he is 100% the best part of that movie. So even in a movie where, you know, it doesn't really work, he still found a way to make it work. And also, also, because I'll take any chance I can to plug this movie, speaking of sports movies starring Chadwick Boseman, uh, go check out Draft Day um, from 2014 with Kevin Costner. He is terrific in that, plays a really cool character as well. Um, yeah, Chadwick, Chadwick had some really fun roles and he was just getting started. That's the most, you know, that's what, I mean, for us as fans, that's the most disappointing part is that there were so many amazing things he was, he was poised to do. So, yeah, for me, I think it was his final role that he, he did as Lev in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, we, you know, I, I don't know if Ma Rainey's Black Bottom would normally be a movie that we would, you know, talk about, given that we're always talking about the MCU and Disney and Star Maybe Wars on like on this our podcast. Oscar shows. And, I, and, but it that's, mm-hmm. and that's exactly where it came up. Yeah, that's exactly where it came up. Was was And I love that we get to do those Oscar shows and sort of gamify the Oscars. But even the, even though I, I rarely win or get close to winning um, with our Oscars predictions, I do really love the movies that it kind of brings to us and we get to talk about. But, dude, I, I will say Viola Davis in that movie eats up every moment she's on screen. But... 
but Chadwick is so good in that movie. He's 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 this audacious horn player, and without spoiling anything, the movie does go so dark, even though he's like initially such a delightful, happy character. Uh, and he just like you were saying, Kevin, he completely transforms himself into that role to the point where like I'm a hardcore MCU fan, but I don't see T'Challa in those moments. Like I don't see, and and you know I don't see physically or 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 the way that he was acting. I don't see the the Black Panther. I see Lev. I see this character, and I think he just did such a good job with that. It was so impressive. Um, but yeah, all right. Well, let's uh, let's get get into this movie. Um, and uh, and I kind of wanted to start there. I'm going to skip the synopsis because. You know, I think if you're listening to this by this point, you 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 know what the movie is because you've seen it. I hope, um, but uh, I wanted to kind of start off, if it's okay, at the beginning uh, with the the loss of their king, uh, T'Challa, at the funeral. Um, what did you guys think of how Ryan Coogler and the movie handled the passing of T'Challa? I mean, I think this was the the biggest question going into this movie this might have been the biggest question of phase four and it was how are how is marvel going to handle the passing of chadwick uh you know there was a lot of speculation you know are they going to recast uh i'm glad they kind of quickly shut that that down i i think Mm -hmm. it would do a disservice and a dishonor to chadwick to to just have somebody else come in and play that role this isn't this isn't a contract dispute like replacing Edward Norton with with Mark Ruffalo. This is far more real life here, and I think the best thing that they could have done was to have the character pass in the movie as well, and then to give him the kind of tribute that they did. I mean, the first what fifteen minutes is just sort of uh, you know a tr- not just a tribute, but a celebration of of life. And in the movie, it's for the Black Panther, but it's for Chadwick here. And it was as as sad as it was, as heartbreaking as it was to watch it. There was also just this amazing energy where you just, you, you it was again, a celebration of life. And I think, I don't think they could have handled it any better. I think getting right to it, addressing it right. They didn't roll a credit. They didn't roll, you know, we didn't even get trailers in our movie. It just opened on this no, scene yeah. and it was like, we're, it's go time. Um, and I think, yeah, between the opening and the end, the way they handled all of that, it was easily the highlight of the movie. It's tough to say that celebrating somebody's passing is a highlight, but it, the way they handled it with such dignity and, and respect was the highlight of the movie for me, uh, you know, far and away. I have to 100% agree with Kevin there. It was handled so well. And again, it kind of even replicated the way that we mourned his passing in the real world that we all talked about what what he did for the world and how he kind of used his his short time here to make a good impact and stuff like that and seeing that kind of even translate through the screen through the black uh the black panther and t'challa and how he's revered throughout his kingdom as the one who brought peace in a very trying time was was a beautiful way of remembering the actor and the character yeah it's it's interesting sort of I mean, I, I know. I guess Chadwick brought so much to that character, and and worked with Ryan to sort of form this version of T'Challa, um, and to see sort of the the fact that like they're so similar in terms of what they stood for. Um, I think says a lot about again what what Chadwick brought. I think um, yeah, having him die of a quote unquote mysterious uh, illness. I think you're right, Kevin. It's the only way they could have done it. I'm so glad that they didn't use CGI or they didn't do some old footage trick 
uh, to sort of give us uh, uh, the ability to sort of see him die. Um, I think they they fully did the exact right thing that they could do. I want to shout out again. We talked about her on our spoiler free, but Ruth Carter, um, the costume design, I think, at the funeral, everyone in white. I think it's it's interesting to see how Wakanda, like a lot of other cultures, like you were saying, Kevin, they're celebrating, you know, the the passing of of their king into the the ancestral plane. It's a celebration that that he is now with the the kings and queens that came before. Um, and you know, you see everyone dancing and smiling, but then I I thought it was really great for them to use those close shots to highlight the royal family. And you see the looks on their faces, and they are not smiling. They are not, you know, sort of cel- they're 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 mourning. Um, and I also really like that they they did both a private and public funeral uh, ceremony uh, because it allows the family to grieve this very personal loss, but then it also allows the people to celebrate the life of their king, and it lets them do that separately, which I just thought was a really smart choice. Yeah, and I mean it, it, that's just another powerful element that they went with here again you get that intimacy of the the family mourning his loss and then as the the parade is happening and you sort of towards the end of it you start zooming out and it's basically everyone from the entire kingdom of wakanda there as with one last sort of salute that was that panned out shot with everybody on the rooftops and everything who i got chills from that that was so Mm -hmm. powerful and it just it, it 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 was again it was the, the intimacy of Chadwick Boseman for us as fans personally, however we attach to them, and then his greater role in not just the MCU, but in filmmaking and the world in general. I mean, it was just, it was all just, it was the perfect way to highlight and and sort of commemorate this significant event in both a somber and respectful, celebratory way. It was just, I, I don't know. I, I can't say enough. I was, I think I was a little worried and, you know, cause, cause who knows, but it's MCU and this, you know, it was, it was amazing. I, I, what was the energy like in your theater for both of you? You went to the same showing, right? Yes. And yeah. Was it, was it quiet? Did it feel like to me at, at, at least for our, I'll, I'll talk about our, the public screening I went to, but for the, for the press screening, it kind of, at times I was like, it is so quiet in here. I feel like I'm literally at the funeral right now. Was it the same in your theater? It was it was dead silence. I mean, nobody was eating popcorn. You know what I mean? Like sometimes yeah. in a quiet scene in a movie, you can hear that ruffling of bags. But I think everybody just sort of stopped to, to pay respect. You know, it's, it was kind of like we're recording this on November 11th where we we celebrate mm-hmm. and, and pay respect. And, and I think it was very much that moment during that, that scene. Uh, now, to be fair, we were in a very... Uh, quiet theater just because mm-hmm. we went to a four o'clock show, so it wasn't okay. that typical opening weekend crowd. Um, but yeah, you could you even with as few people as were in there, you could still feel that sort of reserved uh, silence. Yeah, I went to a seven o'clock showing uh, for my public screening, and I want to shout out uh, here in Halifax the old guy sitting to my left who slept through the majority of the movie, uh, but during the 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 beautiful tribute of an opening with the Marvel fanfare of of just Chadwick, uh, this old man in the loudest voice just goes, "Oh, that's the guy that died." 
Oh, <laughs> just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but thankfully, thankfully, he fell asleep not too much longer after that for pretty much the rest of the movie. So um, shout out to shout out to that guy. I'm so happy that I didn't experience that moment. That wasn't my first experience of that moment. Um, and I got to actually experience it the way that I think it should be. Um, but it just kind of goes to show. I mean, J- Darcy, you've talked about it in the past. I, I it, It's so tricky with these these Marvel movies and for these movies that you just like, you want literally every second of that audio, that dialogue or lack thereof to hit your ears. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to have people munching on stuff, chewing on stuff, yelling, screaming, clapping. So you don't hear dialogue. Uh, I know you've talked about in the past. You're not the biggest fan of that with the Marvel experience. Yeah, no, it's, it's not my favorite thing for any movie going experience. I hate people who talk throughout it or feel the need to try and explain something going on. It's kind yeah. of, it really takes me out of the movie. So it has always bothered me. But like Kevin said, we were in a very quiet show and it was only a few times that I heard the crinkle of a rapper during a later quiet scene. But like Kevin said, during this, this opening memorial sequence, it was like you could hear a pin drop because there was so much respect as, as we were all going through our memories of the character and the actor. So yeah, it was, it was again, great way to open the movie and from there it kind of that's where it starts going wiffly waffly for me <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, well explain as we go through uh, before we before we continue though um just on the with the with the funeral garb and the burning of the funeral garb i wanted to ask you guys because there's a moment where just literally just prior to namor being introduced ramonda turns to shuri and she says there's something i have to tell you about your brother any ideas on what you guys think that is? Because I was thinking, like, is it more information about the illness? Or did she know what was going on? Or what do you think that might have been? Well, I think, again, this is jumping to the, all the way to the end of the movie. Uh, sure. With the this, the mid credit scene. Uh, but I think it's the fact that he had a son. We know mm-hmm. that Ramonda knew at that point, even before, she was the only one who knew of the existence of Prince T'Challa out in Haiti. So mm-hmm. I feel like that was what she was about to tell her. Yeah. Okay, I, I could see that. Um, I have something that might uh, rebute that fact. Um, and I think to explain it, it's the fact that maybe she'd only met the son when he was maybe really young or knew of him as a baby but hadn't seen him since. Because, little fun fact, um, bef- I, know, I know we're kind of, as we're skipping all the way to the end there, and we'll, we'll touch upon uh, T'Challa Jr., if you will. Um, but we actually see T'Challa Jr. halfway through the movie, uh, before the end credit scene. In the sequence when Ramonda goes to visit Nakia, mm-hmm. he's one of the kids that leads her to Nakia and says, she's there. And uh, I, I only noticed it in my second viewing because of how impactful seeing him for the first time was. It kind of left quite an imprint on me. So then seeing him at this point in the movie, I'm like, oh, and I sort of like made that noise and somebody looked at me and I'm like, uh, don't worry about it. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so th- I guess the only argument for that would be the idea that, yeah, maybe she hasn't seen him with everything going on between the birth maybe she hasn't seen him since uh since then didn't recognize him yeah i feel like i feel like at least t'challa was like look this is where nakia is going and this is why she's going he kind of at least filled her in on that much and then just told right. her to leave it at that as as her king i guess be like look i got it covered don't look into it anymore and that was the extent that she knew about it and therefore maybe that's what she was going to tell shuri at, at, tell at shuri that at point. point yeah, yeah. right because shuri was kind of like in a very destructive moment there mm-hmm. where she's like, I'm going to burn the world. So maybe, maybe Ramonda's like, listen, there's still light left. There's still hope left. Interesting. 
Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for for talking that through with me because it was one of the it was one of the few mysteries from this movie that I was just like, I do not know, but I guess I guess that makes sense. Um, let's let's get to it though. He came out of the water. He sca- scared the elephants. Scared me a little bit. Uh, let's talk about Namor uh, and Talokan. Um, I think he's one of the better MCU villains that we've gotten. Uh, what do you guys think of uh, Talo or sorry of Namor in this movie? Uh, I'm so torn because I think you're right in it, it, like Black Panther once again has this villain with so much depth and there's such a mm-hmm. well-developed motive behind their actions just like with Killmonger in the first um, and and I think Tenoch 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 yeah Tenoch uh, Huerta is is really excellent in the role and I think so much about his portrayal of the character works. I'm just not so sure about how the wings work and how <laughs> I just don't know if it actually worked. In the trailers, I went, oh, man, they might actually pull it off. And there are moments where it works and there's others. I mean, literally, I went, literally, he does get it pulled off. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, <laughs> sure. Uh, he does. should have happened right at the beginning and we should have been able to move on from there, maybe. Uh, and that's unfortunate that that becomes a distraction later on in the movie. And they even try to poke fun at it a little, I think. But it mm-hmm. j- it. It was a distraction, uh, but there's so much going on with the Atlanteans and, and everything that, that kind of bothered me in this movie that will sort of break down going forward. But no, I do think it was an excellent performance, and again, in terms of this well-flushed-out, well-thought-out villain with a with a, with a understandable, justifiable purpose that is more than, I gotta collect this powerful weapon and take over the world, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think the defense of his people and his homeland is, is, is a far better motive than we get from a lot of villains in this type of movie so again a lot worked and then some just really didn't hmm. Darcy how about yourself I really liked this uh, the MCU's interpretation of the character uh, they changed a lot or enough that it feels like a new character while still sticking true to the, again those origins of the the mutant character the king of Atlantis the one who's different from everyone else who protects them and everything like that uh I also even like the fact that they, without even really going into detail with it, they also kind of hint at how his personality is also affected by his blood oxygen levels. So again, being the person who can spend time on land and in the sea with relative ease, he is easily affected by his environment. And that you can kind of Mm -hmm. see that when he's at the bottom of the depths of Talokan, he's very much that ruler and the god godly figure but when we see him out of the land he becomes more human and, and, and kind of more mellow headed at least it seems so i loved his portrayal i thought it was great he was one of the better parts of this movie in my opinion yeah i, I like that um to your point kevin with with killmonger he kind of mirrors that right i think his relationship with shuri mirrors uh killmonger's relationship with t'challa and so i think I think that was great. Like, I really enjoyed that aspect of the fact that they sort of gave us this character, this this sort of these ideas again of like, no, 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 they are more similar uh, than they than they realize. I think um, I love his background. I love how they came up with his name. I think that was so much better than Han Solo's name origins. Um, (laughs) I'm so happy that 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 it was like, you know, it was better than that, at least. Uh, No love. and I also noticed the to your point, Darcy. I think it, I don't. I think it might be true for 
for all the characters, or at least, you know, where their environment is does affect them for the Talacanian people. Because I noticed this time around that they have blue skin when they're out of mm-hmm. the water, and when they're in the water, they just have, like, regular human-looking y- skin. Yes, and I, I my explanation for that was the pressure at the bottom of the sea, kind of. That's where they developed or have, you know, lived for so long. That's where they feel normal and the farther they go away from that home is when they become the more alien looking blue skinned people yeah i'm glad he didn't die uh one of the oldest marvel comic book characters as you said and i think i think he needs a little more than just one movie um so i really can't wait to see tenach huerta back again in this role well, especially with his role as a mutant, uh, he plays a huge part in some more recent storylines involving the Phoenix Force. So down the road, when mutants are more of the focus of the MCU, there's some really cool story potentials with his character. Okay, cool. let's get into the mutant thing right now then, because it's been brought up. Is that okay? Can we, can we do <laughs> yeah, this? Yeah, let's oh, talk I'm about confused. it. Yeah. Because I'm confused, because... I thought a mutant was because of some sort of altering of the DNA, like from a genetic level, whereas he's a mutant because his mom drank a a potion or something like so that. No, so with the MCU definition of mutant, I'm going off of Miss Marvel because they explained how the bangle was the one that kind of kickstarted that genetic mutation that unlocked her powers. Similar to how, again, Jennifer getting Bruce's blood in her kickstarted her mutation into the She-Hulk. So I feel like a catalyst, like there's the pre-existing stones or, or groundwork for the mutation to happen, and then there's an outside catalyst that kind of kickstarts it. It's almost like they've merged Inhumans and Mutants origins together mm. for the MCU, which kind of works as a way to explain us why we haven't gotten them to this point or how we could have had them, but they've been laying kind of on the download type thing. So then do you think that with the MCU version of, say, the X-Men, that there will be some sort of interference, some sort of event that kickstarts these genetic mutations? Yes. In the comics, the mutant, like a lot of mutants get their powers activated around uh, puberty when they go through periods of intense trauma or something affects their psychological mindset and stuff like that. So just taking that, you know, metaphysical catalyst and turning it into a more physical catalyst kind of makes sense again for this more grounded MCU, because again, they aren't as fantastical as the comics in terms of origins. So kind of having this, again, almost inhuman linking behind all these mutations really makes sense to build the, the, at least their mutant nation going forward. Interesting. I'm satisfied for now. Sure. Yeah, that works for me. <laughs> that works. Great. We cleared it up. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, let's uh, let's keep going here in terms of, uh, you know, obviously Namor was an introduction into the MCU. Let's talk about another introduction into our MCU. I think um, let's talk about the introduction and use of Riri Williams, uh, Ironheart in this movie. Uh, what did you guys think of, of Riri in this movie? While I loved the portrayal and the character, I feel like it was it was completely useless to bring her in here. I feel like she mm. would have it would have stood better to have her origin story be the first time we see her. And I feel like the Ironheart series will be delving more into that origin. This she could have been any like generic American scientist and could have still had the same impact. I don't know why mm. they decided to bring this character in just to use a name that we know from the comics. It was very disappointing, in my opinion. Yeah, it felt very, very shoehorned in. I think, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it just it did feel almost, almost unnecessary, and it was almost forced to to be uh, important when it really didn't feel as important as they kept making it out to be. 
Uh, I think I don't think there needed to be yet another sort of element um, causing the Wakandans and uh, Atlanteans to be to be at uh, at odds, and this just felt like an extra layer that wasn't uh, wasn't really necessary. And I, and I mean, it did um, provide a fun little side quest for Okoye towards the beginning of the movie, and I did enjoy mm-hmm. um, uh, that sort of, in, th- those interactions and the, the whole starting there. I mean, this is when the movie is still really, really firing on all cylinders and working for me. Uh, but I mean, when you get towards the end of that movie, she, she's useless. She, she doesn't need to be there. She adds nothing to the battle. Sure, she comes out in this cool suit, but she doesn't help the outcome in any way, shape, or form, and the car- mm. the design on that suit is bush league to say the least. Oh, I no. hated it. Yeah. I don't know if it's comic accurate or not, but it looked like it was out of a '90s re- reboot episode. <laughs> Those massive shoulder pads are definitely not comic accurate, at least not from the Iron Heart I've seen. She was very much more the streamlined, more Mark Forty Two or later versions of the Iron Man suit, where it was very form fitting. So this bulky, weird arm cannon blaster thing yet yeah, was not my idea of, of Ironheart and that's was kind of disappointing that that was the first true Ironheart suit that we got to see they're trying to make her look like a heart <laughs> it's like yeah. an iron heart like with the her, rea- her arc reactor is all you need for to look like a heart or the the, the pattern on her mask yeah. there were so many yeah. easier options for that iron heart and it was just I annoying for the, the that's again, a little that's too literal for my liking yeah <laughs> yeah well Dumb. i i got to say like i think to your point, Kevin, um, when this movie was firing on all all cylinders for you, um, yeah, dude, I loved Riri and what how they sort of brought her in. Um, I thought I actually thought it was handled better than something like an America Chavez uh, in Multiverse of Madness. I felt like I was happy to see her. I don't think you're right. I don't think she was necessarily needed in this movie, but I'm I'm glad they did because it, it, I think for me watching this it. It brought back that sister sister vibe between you know for Shuri uh, and even a little bit with Okoye and their banter back and forth was so excellent. I love Okoye calling her a small small girl, um, and I just I don't know. I thought I thought she took to the world of Wakanda so quickly. I I was like I, I at first I was a little shocked at how quickly she was just able to jump in and start helping Ramonda with the with the war. And I was like, oh cool, okay, like great, like she can she can navigate these systems instantly because of how smart she is and I think it showed that um and I really enjoyed she seemed to be wiser beyond her years and I hope that they keep this continuing with the character in in the Ironheart series I love that she references a new hope she references Beauty and the Beast Indiana Jones and her music tastes um I love that she references Nina Simone with the line to be young gifted and black which was not only a song by Nina Simone but also a quote uh, that Chadwick used during his SAG Awards uh, speech. And I just was like, nice. as soon as I heard her say that line, I was like, I know that, that I've heard that before. So I instantly went online after I got home after watching the screener and was like, I looked that up. And uh, that's absolutely where it's from. So I, I don't know. I really I really dug those aspects of her. I mean, I thought she was great. I thought Dominic, uh, Dominic Thorne was, was really great in the role. And I look forward to seeing more Riri going forward in her own show, uh, everything like that, even though, I mean, I don't know if this is the time to do it and say, so everybody in it can just get an Iron Man suit and be Iron Man. I mean, that's what this movie really, there was like three Iron Men in this movie uh, and none yeah, of them the were Midnight Angels. Yeah, the Midnight Angels. Yeah. I think there was a lot of discourse that. online 
on the Midnight Angels. You didn't like the shoot the the, the Midnight Angels suits. The weird. They look like blue uh, versions of Knuckles from Sonic. I don't even know what was going on there. Um, uh, but yeah, they're like all just that. Iron Man. That's not very interesting. I like character like. Uh, you know, I get that she's a genius and everything, but and so that is kind of her superpower. But yeah, you just if you don't have any like actual powers, you just strap on a metal suit with an arc reactor and boom, away you go. You're the next Tony Stark. That's kind of lame. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of that idea. I mean, I think she she I think you have to be smart enough to be able to run a system like that. I could imagine if I got into it, I'd, I would probably just fall over. Um, but I, I do just want to shout out just because you're talking about you brought up Iron Man. The homage that they they pay to Tony Stark, I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. The moment with her pushing the suit, you know, gaining altitude and then kind of it gets to her and she starts falling from the sky like in the first Iron Man movie. I was just like. Between that and the 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 hammer, you know, uh, with the with the cutoff shirt and and you know, you know, breaking out the the little heart, I was like, okay, that's getting me. I love it. I'm happy that we got that little sort of that homage to Tony in this movie. Yeah, it was again. It was cool to see her character, and I love the the personality she's bringing to the character. It works really well. I just I feel like it was unnecessary to introduce her at this point. Like I said, right. her role could have been easily filled by anyone else and didn't need to have that big name attached to it. Especially because when we get her origin story later on, where like the reason why she builds a suit is because her dad and best friend were killed in a drive-by accident. And that's mm. what leads her to become this 15-year-old prodigy who's made an Iron Man suit and is going out and fighting crime. So like again, just introducing her here and sh- shoving her into Wakanda where they- she has all these resources, I feel like it's going to take away from that that growth that we're going to get in that origin story that that Ironheart hope I hope will at least delve into a bit more, right? Because I guess the line of her kind of mentioning that her dad uh, passed away, um, and and that's why she loves this car so much. I guess the amount that they've sort of given us here, you're right. It doesn't necessarily justify them keeping that out of the series that we're going to mm-hmm. get because it honestly wouldn't take that long to give us that information so you know like part of it part of me was kind of feeling like well maybe they're doing this so that it can give us some good setup uh for the the Ironheart series um I did want to quickly just before we move on from Ironheart I want to touch upon um I think they call him Guerrero Guerrero um the 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 essentially the new Jarvis um which I gotta say I think Shuri probably adapted it from Vision as well, um, I think maybe that's kind of where where the that AI came from. And you see the moment that Riri hears the voice; she's instantly like so interested. Um, and so I, I feel like that's going to be the voice that she's going to use on her new suit. Uh, because Kevin, you, you know, you're, you're you'll be really happy to hear, uh, or I mean, you know, but at the end of the movie, they uh, they say, "Well, you can't keep this suit." Um, so she's going to be making a new suit in the Ironheart series thank goodness um, <laughs> I, I i've got a little theory i actually think that there was a whole reason for sherry fixing up uh her dad's car uh i think maybe something in that car is going to aid in the assistance of her building her new suit i think sherry put something in there or there's some sort of piece of technology in the car uh that's going to allow uh, Riri to to make the suit. It just looks like the colors would work, and I don't know. I think it'd be really cool if like her almost like her relationship with Shuri and the relationship that she had with her dad with this car um, all come together to create the Ironheart suit. I think it'd be really neat. 
Well, I mean, it makes sense that she'd be getting help in this, like in the AI department, because in the comics, that is where she struggled until Tony Stark's consciousness came to her as an AI once she was in a coma. And that's kind of what kickstarted her onto the path to becoming the Ironheart and the true successor to the Iron Man name. So, I mean, it makes sense that she would take the AI or the AI could be what leads her to developing that more streamlined suit that is reliant on you know, the partnership between human and AI to run all these complex, you know, calculations and stuff. So, I mean, if that if that is the only thing that was, the only reason why she was in this movie and they explain that, I guess it, retroactively it'll make me feel better about her involvement in this story. But up, as it stands at the end, I feel, again, I can't say enough, she could have been anyone else and I could have, it would have still had the same story impact in my opinion. Yeah, if they, if they don't bring anything forward, into the series, but it's the MCU, you know, mm-hmm. they're gonna bring mm-hmm. something forward. And and honestly, I think to this movie's both strengths and weaknesses, that's kind of what kind of gets in the way of this story a little bit. And to your point, like the fact that it is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that's why it had to be Riri Williams. That's that's you know what I mean? Like they 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 I get that she's getting her own series, but that's also why it had to be Riri. And it's that's also why America Chavez had to be, you know, sort of thrown into multiverse of madness. So I I, I get what you're saying, but I also think it's like yeah, but we're you know we're we're also talking about the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe. They're, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, now we've been talking about her this entire time as sort of a sister figure to Riri. Uh, let's talk about Shuri. Shuri is the new Black Panther, at least uh, as of right now. Um, and we'll we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later too. But this is Shuri's movie. Uh, Letitia Wright is the Black Panther now. Uh, what are your thoughts on our new Black Panther? I mean, I, I think I th- I'm perfectly. I think it it works really well. I think you know it was telegraphed way too early for it to have been this sort of back and forth. Will she? Won't she? We know she will. So yeah, they, you know, for, when when you're looking at a movie that maybe stayed a little longer than it should have, there was this was an element where you know they set it up too early for it to then be. A, a sort of issue later down the road, um, but I mean, I think Letitia Wright was absolutely fantastic in here in this movie. She she showed that she could carry you know an important role, and I think we we dissociated Shuri with really funny uh, and fun moments in the past, and here there's very little of that. It's it's pure emotion, and it, it's it's a lot to ask, and I think she she really delivered on on all of those elements. I thought her performance in this was was terrific, and yeah, hopefully uh, uh, her real-life decisions don't uh, make this sort of null and void going forward. I really hope that there's some sort of resolution they can they can work towards to sort of make this all worth it, and, uh, you know, especially when you are, again, when if you're not just recasting Chadwick and you are replacing him in that mantle it's a very important you know sort of position to take and hopefully that's enough to sort of motivate both sides to to make this work uh because I think it'll tarnish the movie and and a lot of other things if if they're not able to do that yeah, I I really like uh, her her performance as uh, Shuri. It's a lot different from the comic books. In the comic books, she, there's this whole arc where she is very spiritual and really connects and becomes that link to her ancestors that then empowers her to become a better Black Panther later on. Uh, so it's very interesting to see the, the kind of the opposite in that she shuns. She doesn't really believe 
in this grand ancestry and this tapestry that they've woven and is that's even shaken by the introduction of yet another gifted people that had have developed a whole society around this mythical substance so i loved her performance i i'd like to see more of her it was just again it's it's kind of weird it almost feels like they did they didn't want to place too much emphasis on her because of what's going on in the real world and they don't know if they want to continue that storyline right. it's it seems like that has left like that left them really at odds as to how, how to handle the character towards the end of the movie because to me that's where it kind of i kind of again, dropped off with the character because i don't really understand the choices that were made right by the end there I mean, from uh, I and I I know that this can change with the wind, but uh, today on Instagram, I was I was looking up some watching some videos, and up pops a video of the new Black Panther at uh, Disney Parks, uh, and she she walked out, and uh, she didn't say I'm Shuri because I'm sure I'm I'm Shuri that there's some people that maybe <laughs> haven't uh, seen the movie yet, but she just in the Black Panther outfit comes out and says, you know, the Black Panther is always. Uh, protected the people of Wakanda and I am here now and she says Wakanda forever and um, it was really really cool to see and I mean shout out to Disney for just being literally on it like mm-hmm. every single time like the the minute somebody watches a frame of a new movie that character is in the parks it blows me away every single time um, but I did want to just shout out yeah I think Letitia Wright gave such a wonderful performance in this and I, I we talked about it to death in the spoiler free but I think the character has matured so much and how can she not, you know, I think there's that really lovely scene with her and M'Baku where he just sort of says like, you're not a girl anymore. You're not a, you know, you're not, you're not a young girl. You're a, a woman. Mm-hmm. And just the way that, you know, with what you've had to endure and go through uh, by that point in the movie, um, it was honestly the moment I think that it really hit for me with her was her saying that um, she's lost everyone who's, you know, ever really truly known her. And uh, and that was really intriguing. And I, I think it'll be interesting to see going forward if, if we do get to maintain her uh, as the Black Panther, which I really do think is going to kind of be the case uh, for the foreseeable future. I think it'd be really interesting to sort of see her battle with that and, and what that looks like for her character of just sort of being the last of her family. Well, almost. Again, what really bothers me with her character at the end there is she's mm-hmm. so against the spiritual realm and like you know connection to gods or whatever. Yet when she takes the heart shaped herb, she has a conversation with Killmonger and is later see like sees her mother in the ancestral plane and all this stuff. So I still don't understand why she's so. It seems like she still doesn't really believe it. She still places her faith in technology more than the soul plane. Like it doesn't like it's very odd that despite having evidence thrust upon her it right in her face, her scientific mind is still saying no, despite that evidence. It was very that really bothered me as again, someone who's so smart, when you're faced with evidence, you kinda have to accept it. And she's chosen not to, it's just very annoying in my opinion. But I think she but lets towards- her emotions get in the way in that moment, right? Yeah, like towards the end of the movie, I don't know if it was so much that she didn't believe in it. It was that she she didn't like the connection she was having with it, right? She felt abandoned by her family in that moment where she needed them the most, even though, you know, uh, speaking with Eric uh, or Killmonger was maybe what she needed to at least start the the big battle towards the end and, and you know, prevent uh, Wakanda from falling. Um, but, yeah, so I, I, I don't know if it's so much that towards the end she totally didn't believe in it as much as she didn't appreciate the kind of connection mm. she was having versus other people. Because I think she was scared of the fact that she's like, 
wait, I saw Killmonger in this moment. And I don't think she was ready to accept the understanding that she has vengeance in her heart. And that's what that's what's driving her with this new power to kind of motivate her going forward is the idea that, you know, she that's why she sees who she sees is because she's vengeful in that moment. She wants to burn the world, as she said earlier in the movie. Yeah, that's the thing is that she knows that she's driven by anger and she was afraid of it. So she knew that that was a potential within her at the beginning of the movie and by the end of that movie, that fear of it is gone because she's embracing that hatred immediately. And it just seems, it just seems so weird for her to be afraid of it initially. And then all of a sudden embrace the anger. It just, again, mm-hmm. kind of confused me with that character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I've, if I was in her position, I'd probably want to rip the wings off someone's ankles. But uh, uh, continuing on here, were there any other characters uh, in this movie? I wanted to give both of you a chance to highlight because we, you know, in the spoiler-free, Justin and I talked about pretty much all of them. So I was wondering if there were any other characters that you both wanted to to shout out or, or talk about. Well, I know Kevin mentioned the Midnight Angels already. I just think it's really cool to see that storyline potentially being set up uh, for, I think there's a Disney Plus series coming out that's set in Wakanda. There's and a it, rumor. It, yeah. There's a rumor, and I feel them. like it could easily focus on these characters because they have such a, a strong storyline in one of the more recent Black Panther runs where they're going around and freeing women from oppressive tribes across Africa and stuff like that. So it's there's awesome. a really cool storylines there for the characters. And again, those suits are comic accurate. So while I understand why you might not like the visual appeal as a comic reader, it was really cool to see that come to life on the screen. See, I thought they looked a very... Um... <sighs> Very not like Falcon, like the MCU character, but like the bird, like Falcon esque, like with the like with the pointing in the in the middle with the blue. And I don't know, to me, I just sort of was like, they kind of look like birds. I don't know. That you mentioned that because that Black Panther storyline was coming out just after a Batman storyline featuring Talons, where it was a like a bird sh- bird themed uh, assassin or line of assassins and people immediately made the connection for the comics so it, again that translation carried over to the screen because i totally see the bird aspects that you were getting there yeah yeah i wanted to um shout out queen ramonda um mm-hmm. i think would be the only other character that i wanted to just quickly chat about with uh just i i really liked how you know she died and I, I didn't like how she died but i like how she her last act was her saving Riri and that was her like her final act and I think this girl is an outsider and and the the last thing she do is she does is sacrifice her life for this outsider and I think it just speaks so much to what T'Challa believed in by the end of the black by the first you know Black Panther movie and I thought that was such a phenomenal moment and and I think if anything the idea of to your point it could have been any outsider um you know of of out of Wakanda that they could have brought in here. But the fact that Riri was there for that moment, I think added so much to it, added a lot of weight to that moment. And I think it just made it kind of more impactful um, that she didn't just die for Wakanda. She actually died for someone else. And I just thought that was really lovely. I don't know. I, I, I wanted to shout that out. Well, and Angela Bassett is a, a powerhouse in this movie. She's really, really terrific here. So um, definitely deserves praise for her performance here. I also thought uh, Denai Gu- Guerrera uh, as Okoye was, she had mm-hmm. some really 
you know, the contrast here again between her, she was maybe the most comedic character in the movie, but then yeah. also had some of the most powerful emotional moments, especially with uh, Ramonda and, and sort of being expelled from that role that meant so much for her and begging to be able to die saving her country. I just thought she she really brought um, a lot to her role there. Um, and uh, Winston Duke got shortchanged here, man. I wanted more mm-hmm. of Baku. Um, I, I don't think they gave him enough to do, especially at that end battle. Like, it's Apparently all he can do is just swing a big staff and that's all he's good for. And I think... I think the Mbaku characters, it can be so much more than they've ever really given him a chance to be. Mm. Yeah, it really disappointed me that all it took was one hit from from the big bad to make him run with his tail between his legs and want to keel over and, and you know hide. It's completely against the character that we got originally, where he'll stand up for and fight until he can't get up anymore. And it just it was disappointing that that was one fight, one punch and he was immediately like scared. It was kind of weird. To me, I actually just thought that that just is what added so much to to um, Namor in the sense of like, here we've got the most powerful Wakandan that we currently know of uh, outside of maybe the Black Panther. And yeah, he gets struck in the chest. And I thought that slow-mo motion uh, moment was was so good. Um, I, I also really liked how you notice in the in the final battle on the boat, his staff is now made of vibranium because he's like, I'm not, I'm not falling for that again. No way. I just, I thought that was really great. I do think that you know, this movie's already what? How long is this movie? Two hours and something minutes. Forty five, I think. Two hours forty five minutes. There was definitely stuff cut from the movie. Um, there was supposed to be, you know, I think a little bit more with um, uh, Ao and uh, Aneka uh, and mm-hmm. their relationship. I that was definitely cut i supposedly there were more scenes that kind of explained their relationship a little bit more um and i definitely could see mbaku also having stuff cut from this movie and i think at this point of two hours and 40 minutes i don't know what i would have taken out to your point darcy maybe if it wasn't riri williams maybe those you know just a, a different side character that was the MacGuffin. maybe that's when they could have maybe brought in some of those additional scenes but i don't know i i agree with you that uh that maybe we could have gotten a little bit more of those characters, and hopefully we still will. I can tell you exactly where they can trim some fat from this movie. Go for uh, it. And it's probably my biggest issue with the movie because it's where the movie completely changed for me. This movie was rolling. And, like, the introduction of uh, Namor, uh, Namor uh, the, the, and then the introduction of the Atlanteans with, that, with the uh, CIA ship was such a powerful, haunting scene. I thought they were terrifying. What a scary foe to be facing where they just, you know, drive you to basically suicide. I mean, that is some Mm -hmm. dark shit for an MCU movie. And then all of a sudden, it's time to introduce Shuri to Talokan. And as soon as they went down the little underwater tornado (laughs) tube into, uh, you know, Talokan, and she's in the suit, swimming around with everybody, smiling through the mask for, like, what felt like 30 minutes, but it was probably at least five to ten minutes. Mm-hmm. That completely changed the movie for me. I did not like the interpretation of, of Atlantis, how it was represented. I think filming underwater is really, really difficult, but it looked like it was hard for the for the filmmakers here to film those scenes. Like they looked like they were really difficult scenes to get. Like it was like people were holding their breath underwater while being <laughs> filmed so that we didn't get bubbles and stuff. So like mm-hmm. that's where the movie kind of derailed for me. I lost 
any of the mystique and fear of of the the Atlanteans. I just I, that derailed the whole movie for me, and that scene was a top tier cheesiest moments in the MCU <laughs> with 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 Shuri swimming around, uh, you know, Talokan. That just yeah. killed the whole movie for me. Hmm. Well, I. I don't like Talokan. It's not for the same reasons as Kevin. I, I really enjoyed the fact that their culture really looked more like something that was built underwater where there's no, you know, gravity or like singular plane building where we all build up from. It was very much, it seemed organic and like an, like a some creature underground. It really, I loved the look of it. What I didn't like is the fact that we got the introduction with them singing seemed very mystical or magical or and not very tech-based like we know Vibranium to be. So clearly this culture uses Vibranium as like a, a channel for more mystical powers. Why didn't they explain any of that? We mm. like how how has this culture survived for 500 600 years and not developed more than a rudimentary basis for technology because it looks like the same like nothing like a, a time capsule almost of the period that they went underwater and again in the comics Atlantis is known for being like the technologically advanced city that sunk under the ocean and that has been a driving force for all interpretations of the characters so it's very weird to see them completely drop that by the like the wayside and then not even bother to explain how this mystical or at mystical aspect to vibranium or how they use vibranium to recreate a sun like they just they mention all these things without explaining that and that really bothered me because like we've gotten we know so much about vibranium through the black panther and through wakanda that we could have seen another use for it through talokan and they don't even talk about it except for that it's a special metal yeah i i just i think the I think one of the big things to sort of remember when we're getting into these these movies and being introduced to these worlds is that for the majority of the MCU audience, this is their first introduction to Talokan. And I get the idea that, like, they've been around for so long. So it makes a lot of sense that, yeah, they probably should have progressed more than what we saw what we saw in those flashbacks. Um, but I think I think that's maybe where Talokan can grow for the audience, at least kind of in the MCU, to see it going forward, to see, like, you know, by the next time we do see Talokan, maybe we do see a lot of technology brought over from the Wakandans where they're sharing that technology and they're working together. And you, instead of, the, you know, seeing them, you know, f going around on big whales, which I thought was freaking dope, by the way, um, but maybe, maybe we do see them in some more sort of underwater sort of uh, boats or, or things that they can drive around um, as, as maybe a little bit more technologically savvy stuff is brought over from Wakanda. Well, again, the, my whole thing is that they these two civilizations were probably founded around similar times. If you think back to when Bashengi or Bashenga, the first Black Panther, found the meteorite, Wakanda was pretty much always and was then and it has always been a closed borders nation where they had very little contact with the outside world, much like Talo Khan. Yet we see so much growth from one civilization using the same metal. It was just again disappointing to be introduced to this other civilization that had it just as long but have no exploration into how they're using it because again that was one of the driving factors of black panther was how wakanda influenced the purple shaped or the purple heart herb whatever it is i can't remember the name of it right now and how that affected their the growth of their technology and everything like that so it's just again there was so much potential to explain how someone else can use vibranium in again a more mystical aspect but to not describe like discuss that at all was very much a bummer for me mm. okay yeah 
I, I also wonder too if like you know with with the Jabari tribe like they they don't really want anything to do with technology even though they have access to some of the greatest technology in the world I'm just wondering if maybe culturally maybe not necessarily from the comics but in the MCU version of Atlantis of Talokan uh, maybe they're they've got a similar disposition towards technology maybe we'll learn more about that in the future but to what you're describing of like the mystical elements the magical elements that use of vibranium yeah that would be interesting to see if we could see that going forward well- you say they're against technology, but almost instantly after Namor's birth, maybe he's, what, 10, 12 years old when he goes back to bury his mother, they have the breathers on their face then. How did they make them in right. like this 14th, 16th century, whatever it was? That's where I'm going to mm-hmm. say, again, explain that stuff. Show us how they use vibranium to save their race and then go forth and interact with the land like we've seen them do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. what I didn't like. How do you? How are you developing this this sort of technology underwater in from such a primitive state it just it didn't make sense it wasn't that's not the atlantis i was kind of hoping to see in the movie um so yeah the the whole representation of the, the you know I, I love mesoamerican sort of ancient history and 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 while aesthetically there were elements that really really worked in that regard i just don't know if the yeah they didn't explain enough they didn't set it up to make sense it, none of it made sense especially with how little explanation we got well i uh, you know speaking of of mesoamerican <clears throat> culture and history um i want to take a quick brief aside if you will uh from the trajectory that we're going on with the narrative and just talk about the music for a quick moment um i love the fact that ludwig gorenson uh and serena gorenson they they connected and worked with cultural historians, musicians, uh, to understand that they, apparently in, in some of the grave sites, they found turtle shells and seashells and different things being described as used as instruments. And then in the actual score, they used turtle shells and, and seashells and different things as instruments for the, the Talakan uh, music. I just thought that was so awesome. What did you guys think of the score in Black Panther Wakanda Forever? Uh, see, and the, now this is another one for me where it's it either really worked or it really didn't. I think the score absolutely just nailed so much of these cultural aspects that that the movie highlights so well. Um, anything that wasn't a, a top forty pop hit was <laughs> really great uh, from a like, musical. You don't sp- like Rih- Rihanna? You're not a Rihanna. I did not want those really? songs in the middle of this movie were so jarring. They came really? off as like Hallmark movie of the week kind of thing. Like it's another thing where you you know, as soon as I kept getting back into it, they did something like that. And and it completely was the opposite of what was working in the movie for me. And it completely took it away. Like, some really powerful moments were ruined by some pretty cheesy song selections that just didn't fit the mood, didn't fit the tone of the movie, didn't belong in a movie like this. It was, I thought it was really, really odd. Are you talking about the montage sequence? Is that kind of one of the moments that you're sort of referring to? There were three specific moments where they used like a pop song with like the, you know, and just it, 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 it wasn't what I wanted, like a, a, a nice score with a, with a similar feeling, but without this like produced synth sound would have mm-hmm. worked so much better. I, I don't want so, like 
it's one thing when Iron Man's flying around to ACDC. It's another when, like, you know, you've got this this moment representing, you know, centuries of cultural history, and there's this, mm-hmm. you know, 2017 R&B hip-hop song going on. It just didn't make <laughs> right. sense for me. So that yeah. took me out of it several times. Mm. Yeah, I'd have to agree with Kev there. Again, the score is incredible. Like all the tribal and cultural aspects are kind of something I was expecting from Ludwig Göransson with his work, his previous works that have been very worldly influenced, and I love that aspect. But like Kevin said, it the tonal shift between that score and then the pop music really didn't fit well. Like there are other movies like Thor, Ragnarok or Love and Thunder where they use popular songs with the soundtrack and they fit much better. Whereas in this case, like Kevin said, it was such a different vibe, like that overproduced synthetic sound as opposed to like you said, they used shells and turtle and seashells and all that stuff to create, recreate these sounds for these different cultural aspects. It was such a, a wide difference between the two that it really brought me out like kevin was saying Mm, okay okay good to know um i i will say on the music front i was mesmerized i think to your point more by the score than the maybe the soundtrack if you will um but uh i just love shout out to also the people that that did the sound design in this movie um getting to hear sounds that i've never heard before in a movie is so cool. Um, I think the most notable moment from an audio standpoint for me was whenever the Talakan people would sing, like how incredibly creepy that was and just sort of hearing that and hearing it in surround sound. And it's just like, it's next level. And I was just one of those moments where I was so caught off guard. I'm like, I don't think I've heard that before. And I just, I don't know, I really dug it. Again, I loved the singing aspect for that. And with the feathers from the Mesoamerican culture that they used and adorned themselves with, it it led to that, you know, the myth of the siren, the the creature that would sing and lure seamen to their death or sailors Mm -hmm. to their death. And the fact that there was that potential and it seemed really cool. Again, their introduction was so haunting and like it felt very horror vibes, a lot like a, a comic that came out and it was before Namor was known to the wild world and he was taking out submarines as they were trying to discover Atlantis it had the same vibes as that but again they don't explain why the why they can sing like this and that was mm-hmm. what really bothered me is again mm-hmm. so really cool sounds awesome had a great impact but explain why they can use sound as a weapon like that because they don't mm-hmm. do it at all mm-hmm. okay okay um i before we kind of get to maybe a a little bit of uh, more of what didn't work for you i want to kind of Go into more of a positive side here. I want to ask your favorite moment of the movie. You can only really, I mean, you can maybe quickly mention one, but try to narrow it down to one moment uh, that might have been your favorite from this film. Go ahead, Darcy. Well, uh, again, my moment is pretty easy to stand out. And again, it speaks to the volumes about how much I, I have hopes for this character to go forward. But the inner, like, really, sorry. Uh, Shuri's introduction when she drops from the plane oh. as the Black Panther literally gave me chills. And it's yeah. there are very few times throughout Marvel where I felt that. But in this movie, it was so prevalent. And you could feel, again, the weight on her shoulders that she's accepted at this point. And I was, again, while I'm still confused about her decisions towards the end of this movie, I am really excited to see that character grow. Yeah, that was such a good moment. I think so for both, both of the times I've watched the movie so far, yeah, those that moment gave me mad chills and i was just like oh mbaku can say anything to introduce all the characters going forward mm-hmm. and it'll just mm-hmm. give me chills i thought it was so cool and the way she lands and you see the purple kind of go up her feet to absorb the the sort of the, the impact from the from the ground um yeah dude that was a great moment 
I think I think personally, I I already talked about uh, my moment or moments, and it was the introduction of of Namor. Uh, you know, just as this instant threat was really well done, but specifically the introduction of the Atlanteans uh, with the attack on the ship. I just thought, holy shit, this oh is my gosh. this is such a a more interesting and frightening type of villain or you know threat than say a whole bunch of um uh robots in an army of ultron or something you know what i mean like i just mm-hmm. thought wow the potential that this sort of villain group has is so amazing and i never felt that again when they were on screen there was there was a pretty good battle with okoye on the bridge there that i thought was really good but the rest of the movie it's it does just go to genetic you know, a bunch of Wakandans versus a bunch of Atlanteans, and you don't, none of it really matters because that's not even the important battle going on at the time. So, yeah, I think the introduction of the Atlanteans at uh, at the ship there was my favorite single single scene. It was that was terrifying. I thought that was really well done. Dude, when Atuma flies up out of the side of the boat and just spikes that guy, like, right away, spikes Smitty into the side of the wall. Shout out to Lake Bell, by the way, uh, plays Dr. Graham. Um, Cool to see Lake Bell. I'm a little sad. Unless they they don't unless it's like oh you didn't see her death it happened off screen so maybe she's still alive because um, Lake Bell is such an excellent actor and I would love to see her in the MCU again going forward I was like wait is that Lake Bell but I was like anyways <laughs> um uh for me I think yeah beyond the part of like the Black Panther lives um I got a lot of chills at the end seeing Shuri realize how alike she is to Namor. She's holding the spear up to his neck and asking him to yield. And I just think the, to your point, Kevin, of like seeing Talokan and taking so much time with it. Sure. Maybe they didn't need to give us that much time to give us the same impact that we got in this scene, but I'm happy that we got it because of the impact, even, even to the degree that we did of like just getting to cut to different moments of seeing the cultures and how similar they are, seeing both of these cultures suffering through different devastations that they've endured. But then, you know, the fact that, like, I think Shuri sort of comes to realize she doesn't need to be fighting this, fighting each other. It's, it's they're not they're not enemies of each other in all this. Um, they have a common enemy, and I think I just think it was really really cool. And like, that's the moment when she gives up her vengeance, and she can finally see her mom. Like that's that's where even though she was supposed to see her mom when she took the heart shaped herb, this is the moment where she's like, I've realized that I've been making a mistake. And now I look up and she sees her mom and she just says, show him who you are, um, which is exactly what what her mom said to uh, T'Challa when he was fighting Killmonger. And I just thought it was so well done. Um, I just thought that that moment really hit for me. And it really hits with the main theme of seeing these characters grow through grief and through loss. And they and that was like a really, really wonderful sort of pivotal moment for her. And especially we talk about her maturity. Um, I just, I loved it. I thought that was probably, for me, the best moment of the movie. Um, Let's uh, let's kind of get we're kind of rounding out uh, almost to the end here. Let's get to the end of the movie um, and kind of to what I was just talking about that scene, that sequence. What are your thoughts on the the fact that Wakanda and Talokan chose to stop fighting? Because I've been seeing some stuff online of people like not didn't really like that ending. What are your thoughts on on uh, sort of the piece that was made at the end? 
I have no issues with the piece made at the end. Again, you can see the similarities between the two characters and how they can, when they see themselves in the other, they that's when they can come to an understanding. I totally agree with that. Again, going back to the whole blood oxygen level, when we've seen at that point, uh, Namor is the most deprived of water he's been since we've seen him. So he is probably the most human we'll have seen him at this point. So I really like that that aspect and that that's when he makes this comes to this realization about Shuri and how they need to stop the vengeance uh, from carrying on into future generations. What I didn't like was the fact that Wakanda decided to fight a bunch of sea people at sea. That is the <laughs> dumbest thing ever I've like, I I mean, ever they, I understand. The boat was Brian supposed to fly up into the air, but then it got stopped, remember? <laughs> Why would you do that in the water? You can do that on the coast. Go to a beach, set it sure. up with a bunch of traps, make them yeah. come out of the water to fight you and not give them the advantage of being able to come from all sides at right. you and then f- fuck your shit up. Like the way that how easily she took down. One person took down that ship yeah. because she just had a spear and went at that one thing, it was just, it was mind boggling. You were, mm. you went to where they were strongest and decided to fight them there. It just, that made no sense to me. And yeah, had like, me really you angry went to by a the water end of the balloon fight. fight in the water. So of course the people <laughs> with the water balloons are going to win. Mm. Um, and, 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 and another thing, it just, you know, when you set up these characters earlier, they were using their voice as a weapon and then they never do it again for some reason. And I thought, you know, you mentioned Lake Bell and I thought when her character quickly realized to put in headphones. I thought that was something that the Wakandans were going to have to do in order to prevent that. But nope, they just instead never use these mind-controlled songs again to just yeah. thwart their enemy instantly. That's so lame. And then so instead, you just get this generic battle on the Wakandan submarine thing. And the CGI there was the worst in the movie. Yeah. The physics of how people are moving around on the side of that ship and everything. That, that was a, a grade B level fight for me in terms of like the climactic. And, I, and again, I know that wasn't the most important thing going on in the movie at the time. Because that was obviously um, with Shuri and Namor. But yeah, that whole big battle for the sake of having a big battle. Because it's a Marvel movie. We need to have a big right. battle. It, it wasn't justified and it wasn't executed well at all. And again, just another element that took me out of of of, of other powerful things going on at the same time. Yeah, I think I think um, again that kind of speaks to the idea of the MCU gonna MCU, and and that could have maybe affected or or kind of given a bit more. Um, I, th- I think the, there's two big battles that happen in this movie, and the better one is the one that happens earlier. It is the one that happens at Wakanda, and I think uh, to your point, Darcy, like if it if they maybe had have done maybe a bigger version of that, or or you know maybe it might have felt a little samey. But did they need to do this big battle again, especially at, at the sea? Um, I don't know. I like the 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 big uh, you know them on the whales and stuff like that. I thought it was cool in the water bombs, but um, I think, I think this, I think it speaks to the overall themes of the, the movie. Um, I think the fact that, yeah, they don't see each other as, as their enemies anymore. Um, I think there was also no way that we'd see either of these nations fall in the MCU at this point. Like I, I, I'm, you know, I, I just think we're going to get more Talokan in the future. So there's no way they could have had one one of them win uh, at the very end. Um, and maybe you could have done something where it's like if Namor died, then like somehow that affects the abilities or the powers of all the Talokan people or something like that. But um, I want more Namor. So I'm just happy that they came to a, a, an agreement at the end. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I can see why the where the end sets up for potential uh, Talokan disputes going forward with Atuma and Namora. In my opinion, they were kind of underutilized in this they movie. Were. Why would you use such big names if not only to set up why they are going to turn against Namor in the future after he's made this peace? And we've seen them both be very, you know, against anyone living on the land. So totally see that aspect coming out of it. Uh, before we go on to anything else, too, one really big thing that kind of bothers me as a comic fan is we got to hear Namor say his his catchphrase Imperius Rex which is Latin which makes sense if it's Atlantic because they are again a a Latin based society Mm -hmm. why is a Mesoamerican society why is his catchphrase Imperius Rex especially as someone as a uh, culture that has widely separated themselves from the greater world so how would he know this why would he care about this why why imperious rex and it, it kind of bothers me to say that well again, that makes was... no sense at all Ooh. <laughs> right it's so cool it's so cool as a, a fan to be like yes he said his catchphrase from the comics but as the same fan like it doesn't make sense in the context of this movie or this character now so that really bummed me out that they couldn't think of some other other way of maybe making a mesoamerican interpretation that's of what they should have imperious said rex. something yeah. similar but in a more authentic uh dialect yeah it yeah, was very, think, very irksome think, to me. But to your point, though, it's like they they took so many steps to change the character for them to kind of add that in. You know, it's one of those things where I feel like they're like, well, listen, we're going to have comic book fans that are going to be so upset if he doesn't say Imperious Rex. And then we're going to have the other side of people who are so happy with the changes that are made that it doesn't make sense that he says Imperious Rex. So it's I, I felt like they might be trying to to play at all hands there. But um, but yeah, no, I looked up Imperious Rex when I got home. I'm like, what the frick was he saying? Why did he say Imperious Rex? Because I've never looked at the comics uh, of, of Namor before. So Some of the best splash panels featuring Namor are him just like spearing through imperious someone with his trident saying yeah. imperious rex and like a big <laughs> blocky comic book font and so like the fact that he's yeah. yeah it's i love it for the character but again doesn't make sense in the, the context of this movie um i did think it was cool to see at the end though namora walk in and she's getting she's pissed at him she's getting mad i think to your point darcy that does set up for uh, an eventual turn of, of hopefully her and Atuma being uh, bigger characters. And I, I really hope for, for those actors, we got a chance to interview them, by the way, uh, we'll plug at the end of the, of the podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but yeah, um, I think going forward, I would like to see more of them. I thought they were fantastic for the, for the physicality that we got with them, but uh, having her walk in and seeing him painting a mural of him communing with a, a black Panther, I thought was really, really cool. I was like, it's kind of neat to see these characters within this fictional world, but we're seeing them preserve their history um, of their of their culture as it's happening. And I just thought that was really cool. And it just spoke to kind of, again, how important that is to uh, someone like Namor. Uh, and then just one more thing before we move on. M'Baku is now the leader of Wakanda, uh, and Shuri is the Black Panther. And those things can be separate. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep, I mean, we saw it already with uh, T'Challa taking the mantle of Black Panther while T'Chaka is still King right. of Wakanda. So okay. it is not exclusive. Uh, I, I, one is one equals the other. They are two separate entities. And I also like the fact that, again, we saw Mbaku mentioned earlier saying that he was meant to be uh, a consul for for Shuri. And right now, Shuri is still trying to deal with her grief. She's finally you know, opening up that door. So it makes sense that she's going to turn to the person that her brother also turned to to help her, you know, kind of, rule Wakanda and bring them together again. Okay. Well, uh, let's, let's get to the big, the big, big, big moment uh, at the end of the movie. 
Um, you know, I think we got T'Challa uh, or Toussaint, uh, as he's known in Haiti. Um, you know, we get that that end credit scene, uh, and then you know Shuri visits Nakia, and she brings out her son and introduces him. What did you guys think of the introduction of T'Challa or T'Challa Junior, as some people have coined him? <laughs> Well, it was very touching and I, I, you know, I felt all the emotions they were trying to hit home there. I thought it was really good. Did not deserve to be the end credit stinger or post credit no, stinger. Eh? The knowing from Marvel movies where they use those to set up or hint at these ties yeah. to do something that they could have easily done right at the end of the movie where we see her burning her, her, her uh, funeral garb. It makes sense it doesn't make sense to make us wait to just show us something that happened directly after it just seems odd in the in the overall context of uh mcu and stingers hmm. from what i've seen with regards to that i think what they wanted to do was sort of not distract from the tribute that they're paying to chadwick bosman in the hmm. movie here i think the idea is let's not cloud this with with any other sort of um, you know, thoughts on the future and everything like that. They have enough projects where they, they, they can take one off, I think. This is the first time where I, I wasn't sort of bothered that by that, having read the justification and the reasoning behind it. I just think, while it's a really nice moment, it's a really cool idea, in the context of the MCU, it, it doesn't mean anything, at least not for 15 to 20 years. Well, hold you know, on, while they might Kevin. be making these movies then, it it's insignificant, at least for unless he's a junior Avenger. I, well, I, I want to really quickly just shout out one thing. Time travel and time displacement yeah, like and Kang coming in. Um, to your point, Darcy, I think, and, and what you were just kind of going off of, Kevin, I, I really liked, I thought it was really lovely. I thought it was a lovely way to end this very heavy movie. Um, I think with a smile, with sort of his smile was so he's such a cute little kid, and uh, and I just thought I really I don't know I liked I liked the idea of of having him in there. Um, I think the way they end with Shuri just sitting alone on the beach, I can't stress it enough on this podcast how much I love a good book ending, and especially mm. when it comes to sound design here with the silence of the the beach sounds. Uh, you know, we got that during the Marvel fanfare. Uh, and then and then we get it here right at the end uh, as we see those same sort of images and flashbacks going through Shuri's head uh, with Chadwick. I just thought the way that they did that and sort of bookended the front and back of this movie was so beautiful. I thought it was so well done. Um, but yeah, for, for Toussaint or T'Challa Jr., um, I, I don't know if all Wakandans say... Um, Baba as like their dad but I love that Nakia was like your Baba T'Challa and I was like oh it's exactly what little T'Challa said about T'Chaka um, and then you know he was probably pre he was probably conceived pre-snap he's probably about what five or six years old would you say at this point and I think I think time displacement and 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 maybe him getting sent off to space or or Kang mixing stuff up with the timelines in Loki we could see a progression of his character faster than we thought and i think i think that's a smart way rather than rather than than like replacing Chadwick Boseman um as T'Challa we're we're essentially just being able to give this version of the character those storylines once Shuri has kind of had some more time in the spotlight. And I really do hope we get more movies and, and moments with Shuri before they just pass it on to this kid. But I think this was a really smart way to, to ensure the future 
of the T'Challa character without replacing Chadwick as that T'Challa. I totally knew that. I totally thought the same thing. I was just uh, sort of giving you a segue <laughs> so you could explain. Oh, definitely. thank you. No, Perfect. You definitely, you've definitely um, changed my thoughts on that because I figured yeah. you guys would have some sort of retort to what I was saying because without the magic of time travel and everything, it is sort of like mm-hmm. it's more of a nice what moment for, the, for yes. the movie and the character than it is a consequential thing, but they can make it be a very important development as well going forward with with what we might get with Kang. Okay, all right, you sold me again. Yeah. <laughs> Especially, I mentioned how usually these end credit stingers are tie-ins to what comes comes next or is, is up next for the at the larger uh, in terms of larger stakes. And what I feel like really could have been done in this movie in terms of that would have been giving us something about like the vibranium was what Kang is looking for because I mean even after seeing this movie, seeing more Wakanda tech and, and stuff like that, the stuff we see in the Quantum Mania trailer of Kang's armies with the blue energy, we're, we're kind of shifting away from vibranium being purple and being more blue. And I'm wondering if, if vibranium is this going to be the new almost uh, like infinity stones and in that it is this ultra powerful substance that can be used for anything if you, if you think about it the right way. So again, I feel like, that, like this movie could have set up that and that could be a larger stake going forward is that Kang is coming for vibranium and vibranium is much more than just these two nation, our culture's precious substance. It's so much more widespread than that. It could be even galaxy, like galaxy-wide that, that vibranium is everywhere and everywhere it's something powerful. Interesting. It's like if Wakanda and Talokan were worried about the US and France <laughs> like wait till they, they see wait till Kane comes knocking on their door because <laughs> yeah, they ain't exactly. stopping him that would be huge I want to pull it back to Toussaint for just a moment I thought T'Challa's choice uh, to keep their son a secret was really fantastic I think he'll grow up outside of Wakanda and he'll be able to confidently represent both Wakanda and the outside world which really makes him this bridge that his father advocated for so strongly and I think that's such a lovely thing to sort of mm-hmm. imbue in his character instead of just instantly being like he's the next Black Panther you know get him on you know he's royalty get him you know I, I think it's really really smart um, I was looking up some stuff about the name uh, Toussaint it might be I think it's a reference to General Toussaint Louverture uh, who was a hero of the Haitian Revolution which is why Shuri sort of says there's a lot of history in that name and I thought that was super cool for them I mean, anytime the MCU can bring in our world, real world history is Really, really awesome. And of course, they're going to do that with this movie. Um, But also the name Toussaint in French um, translates to all souls. Um, Two for all and sans for souls. Um, And uh, considering that the Wakandans, and they even say it in this movie, it's like their views on the afterlife, the ancestral plane, their relatives are never truly gone. So the name Toussaint just really is even that much more fitting for Nakia and T'Challa's son at this point, and I just think he's going to be a living reminder of of T'Challa, of that version of the character that Chadwick brought, and whoever, you know, obviously, like, to your point, Kevin, this kid's so cute, I'd love for him to actually, like, get to be the Black Panther in the future, um, but I don't think they're going to do that. I do think we're going to get an aged up version pretty quickly. Um, and where where there are, you know, him as a, as a kid, I'd love to see grow up into into the MCU. Um, there are some other kids 
that have been, that have been brought into the MCU. Shout out to Speed and Wiccan uh, that I don't <laughs> want to show up with their ice cream song um, going forward. So hopefully those kids, no, those kids are very cute and they they did what they you know I'm sure whatever they had a lot of fun. Um, I just don't know if they should be in the movies going forward. But speaking of going forward, let's talk about that as we wrap up this conversation. Um, what what are your predictions? Uh, for when we'll see these characters next. What do you think is going to happen next in the MCU? This is the end of phase. This is the end of <laughs> phase four. Uh, and we're going into phase five. Um, Kevin, why don't you kick us off? What are what are your hopes and dreams or, or thoughts about you know, kind of what this movie does moving uh, the MCU forward? Uh, I mean... As much as I want to see more uh, Namor, I don't want to see more Talokan. Um, um, I'm I'm not even a huge fan of the really techy stuff in Wakanda. I think I think the the more grounded cultural stuff is so beautiful, and they do such an effective job there. But the technology is just so far advanced. Everything else we get in the MCU that it's just this balance that that always bothers me when there's this when there's something vastly superior going on in 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 the same universe that it just sort of bugs me um but so i'd like to see more uh, namor i'd like to see more mbaku in a bigger role now that he is sort of the leader of of wakanda i hope that we see them maybe have to decide to come out and face this next big threat that that's that's sort of um you know going towards earth we'll have to see what what's going on there but uh, i think you guys did answer a few questions that i had about what was the significance of some of the choices they made in this movie and how can they they take those going forward especially especially with uh t'challa jr you 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 completely uh changed my opinion on on all of that Oh, yeah, I mean, I I think I I said where I hope the like larger scheme going forward is in that vibranium is going to be a much more important thing than just towards these two cultures. I I wouldn't be surprised if we see that maybe even pop up something in the guard like in Guardians of the Galaxy. Someone talking about this substance they use and it turning out to be just another source of vibranium out there. Uh, overall, though, I think the most likely time we'll see these characters pop up again is going to be Thunderbolts with the involvement of Val so heavily in this one yep. that I feel like the them wanting Vibranium is going to be what leads them to go into Wakanda and that's what the Thunderbolts team will be is kind of using uh, Winter Soldier's presence and, and uh, renown in Wakanda as a like backdoor in to do some nefarious things. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if that's where we see them next. Also, I got a big question about uh, Everett Ross now. I mean, it's really surprising to see that he is the ex-husband of Val. That was yeah. news to me. Big change from the comic character there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the fact that we see him in the trailer for Secret Invasion working for Nick Fury. So is that one the same one that is now hiding in Wakanda? Is it a scroll using his face just to... Like, I have no idea. Oh. There are so many questions that rise from his ending that I, again, I can't wait to see. But that, again, Secret Invasion now is even more excited for, I'm more excited for it because I hope they'll kind of explain, is this going to be a scroll or will we know that there's 
that he's the one from Wakanda. Like, I'm so confused about that. I can't wait to see how that plays out. I think Secret Invasion, that's going to be the whole theme of the show is who's a Skrull? Is that mm-hmm. a Skrull? Is Nick a Skrull? Is Everett a Skrull? Is Val a Skrull? Um, and I do think Val will show up in uh, in Secret Invasion as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. I love the idea that Everett Ross is on the run uh, with Nick, and they've kind of both now been expelled from their sort of you know different uh, facilities, if you will, or, or kind of their you know their their where they used to work. Uh, they've been fired, and so they've got something to sort of communicate or commune on in that regard. Um, I, I think just really quickly with the Val stuff, that was also another big a big aspect of this movie that if I'm literally nitpick anything of what didn't work for me was the MCU having to set up all that stuff. Every time they sort of went over to Everett and Val, I was kind of like, cool, that's that's awesome. I'm, I'm happy you sort of gave us that. I think they could have done that in one scene because they kept sort of pulling to those characters. And I was like, no, take me back to the cool stuff. I want to see the cool stuff. I don't want to really see these two people just talking. Um, again, as intriguing as what that might set up could be, um, I think that could have been handled in something like A Secret Invasion. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be my only gripe uh with those characters but kind of going to my predictions here um i have a long form prediction because my short form <laughs> prediction is literally what you just said darcy so i'm not gonna <laughs> i can repeat that um i do think the idea though of val um manipulating winter soldier uh or or bucky i'm so interested to see white wolf <laughs> white wolf i'm so interested to see how she manipulates him to get him to that place of like you know i i think marvel can figure out how to write that to the point where it's like a a heel turn situation and i'm really really interested who knows maybe she takes advantage of the fact that he can be mind controlled or he was mind controlled at one point half the team was mind controlled at one point (laughs) i feel like that's gonna be a very big thing there you go manipulation of the team so it'll be really interesting to see how that works uh my long form though is going back to t'challa jr uh, I was reading uh, that in the comic books, apparently T'Challa had a relationship with a wonderful woman named uh, Storm and yep. Aurora Monroe. And, uh, and, and I think it's, you know, with the X-Men still being a little ways away, I could totally still see them exploring that relationship with maybe a younger version of, you know, this new T'Challa and a younger version of Storm. I could see instead of with the father, though, it's just with T'Challa's son, I think would be really, really cool to sort of get that. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that would be maybe I mean, a really cool way to, to bring in, again, a story that so many people thought, oh, we'll never see that now that Chadwick's gone and they're not going to recast T'Challa. And now we, we totally can. It'd be also really cool because it kind of be another full circle thing with Storm being revered as a god among her tribe in Africa before she marries uh, King T'Challa and becomes queen. So like, there's a lot of cool potential there. I never even thought of that. So now you got me excited for a whole different reason. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Well, um, listen, Justin and I both gave this movie a five out of five. We both fell head over heels for it. I know Kevin's like, what? No way, not possible. And I even made a joke at the end of the spoiler uh, free review that we're just like, we're just Marvel shills at this point, Justin and I. We will never give a Marvel movie a bad <laughs> review. It'll never happen. It's impossible. Um, even though I do think some of the movies uh, in the last uh, phase have not been the best. Um, but uh, I want to get your ratings as we wrap up this conversation that we've been having here uh, on a scale of one to five purple heart-shaped herbs. Uh, and I want you to answer the question, is this movie for you? 
better than the first one. Darcy, I'll get you to kick us off. Well, again, I think I've pretty much summed up all my thoughts over the course of this kind of lengthy podcast, kind of mimicking the movie in that regard. Um, what worked for me, I really enjoyed. I thought it was really cool interpretations of the characters in the comics that we that I personally first was introduced to and fell in love with. So it was great in a lot of those aspects. But where it took me out again was kind of that middle chunk of the movie where I questioned some of the characters' decisions. I questioned why they decided to make the certain plan. Like a lot of things really brought me out of the movie. Uh, and it, in my opinion, it, it, made, it made it felt longer than it needed to be, which is kind of disappointing. So uh, overall, I'm going to have to give this one 3.5 out of 5 uh, Purple Heart shaped herbs uh and again mainly it's because the pacing to me it was they didn't really know where they were going characters felt shoehorned in kind of rushed along it was what didn't work really stood out and kind of was jarring to me okay all right kevin how about yourself uh yeah i think it's a case of of the movie either working really really well or or being or not working for the complete opposite reason of what was working for me uh, obviously, it opened and closes on such a beautiful note and tribute to Chadwick, um, and I think the way they handled the the passing of you know uh, a family member to the actors in the MCU, as well as an important uh, actor um, to to fans around the world, uh, and the the way they handled the pa- uh, you know the passing of the torch, the mantle, if you will, of the character was really really smart. They 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 didn't ruffle any feathers um and you've even got me excited for the future of the black panther character with with his son maybe taking up the mantle and and them finding clever ways to to make that happen sooner rather than later um so i think i think the black panther franchise as a whole is in a really good place moving forward um but yeah no there were just elements of the movie that didn't work for me um you know we talked about the score and how you know when it was the instrumental aspects were amazing and then I was taken out of the moment by really odd song choices. And that's kind of what they did this whole movie. I, I didn't like the representation of Talokan. You know, they have this sort of deep bass a, a, a little ways down in the water. And then you take a water tunnel into this floaty world. <laughs> and again, the execution of it just didn't hit home. And that was such an integral part of the movie. And so that mm-hmm. really took me out of out of it. And you have this amazing villain. And if you can even call him a villain, because once again, right. like in the first movie, it's this character where you you can completely understand his convictions and his motivations. And so I think it would have been a more powerful ending if it did come down to just Shuri and Namor, rather than this time-wasting um, sort of big faceless battle on the top of the submarine boat flying ship thing that didn't serve any purpose. I mean, you've got uh, Okoye in this outfit that, like, they're they're teasing the whole bloody movie. Somebody's going to wear this blue suit. And then she does, and she flies into the battle, and they cut away to something else. Mm. Like, that was just an <laughs> an example of what what are you doing in that moment? You, you know, so... I, that those little elements really do sort of add up to to diminish my experience with it overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can't go and give it this huge high score. I think Phase Four, in many ways, just like this movie, tried to do too much setting up and explaining for the future rather than focusing on a, a more centralized, smaller story. And I think that this movie almost deserved to be 
a little bit smaller, a little bit more focused on the the really important elements. But they're they're trying to introduce like four different plot lines subtly in the background while having this very integral main thread throughout the movie. And so that it didn't necessarily diminish the big moments like the passing of Ramonda and everything like that, but it didn't help to enhance them. And it didn't necessarily add anything to the movie by shoehorning in these three or four additional storylines. So again, it was just a bit a bit disjointed throughout and so I can't go near a perfect score. I'm actually going to have to give this a 3.5 out of 5 purple heart-shaped flowers. Herbs or herbs. I, they said I'm going to have to give this a 3.5 <laughs> out of 5 purple heart-shaped herbs. Yeah, I um I I think it's just one of those things where again the the MCU is going to is going to MCU. You have to wonder how many people, you know, have their hands in the pot here. It, it, it's not just Ryan Coogler running this movie. There, there's probably a ton of other people and 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 people at Marvel that probably have to say, well, no, no, no. Can, can you put this somewhere in there because we have to do this to line up with this so that we can have this part, you know, make sense for this upcoming movie and then we can reference this going back to this and. You have to imagine that there's probably a lot of that. So not not like I, I get completely. Don't get me wrong. I'm not discrediting your points. I just think w- with with what we were what with what he was given with Ryan Coogler of the situation with the, the passing of Chadwick and then a pandemic and having to rewrite an entire script after that. It's you're right. It does kind of suck that it feels like there are so many different people who have their hands in the pots trying to, you know, there's got to be a big battle at the end. Like, who knows if maybe that was his idea. I'm not sure. But it just that screams, you know, uh, somebody in the boardroom just sort of being like, well, no, we have to have another big battle. And it's like, well, what okay, else are we going to make a Lego set and sell exactly, it for? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's unfortunate to your point that we didn't get a smaller story that I think could have been a little bit better. But it. Again, it's the MCU, so we're we're going. Every, I I I'd be very shocked if we get, you know, Quantum Mania. I think well, maybe not Quantum Mania is maybe not the best uh, example of, of of you know of a movie that should have a, a smaller story because I think that whole thing is to set up Kang. But I I think you know with some of the the projects going forward, um, it'll be interesting to see if we do ever really get a, a movie where we're just like that didn't set anything up, and I'm. I'm really okay with it. I, I kind of felt that way about Thor personally. Um, yeah, I loved that about yeah. Thor. Thor was a very much a standalone film and wasn't trying to do any big connections. It was telling, trying to tell a very streamlined story, which I personally really loved. Yeah. It was, I enjoyed that movie more than this one. So okay. that's just, again, everyone teach their own. We all have different tastes. <laughs> and both of you, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm not entirely, I kind of phased out for a few minutes here. Um, <laughs> did, it's late. Did you, um, did you both answer whether or not uh, Black Panther won or Black Panther 2 what's what's higher for you well I actually remember that as Kevin was finishing up that there was a second part to your uh, lead up to our awesome. scores there and so yes I did enjoy this one more than the first movie uh, the first movie had a lot of issues with pacing especially upon subsequent rewatches that movie seems to get longer and longer each time I sit down to watch it mm. so this one I don't think will feel any longer than it is but I did enjoy what it was doing a lot more than the first movie okay see so, you know, and I was gonna say if you think the first one feels long on rewatches, what? How is this one going to age? I think that's that's almost the only way you can fairly compare the two is you know having seen the first one two maybe three times now versus only once of this experience. I did find that I enjoyed the movie 
immediately after more than I, I like I, I enjoyed number two more than I liked number one I thought um, the acting was elevated uh, but there were also issues from the first one that I didn't like here like wonky special effects at times and things like that so you know, for now, I'll say that this was a better movie. It was, uh, you know, uh, that rare or that difficult feat of improving upon the original with the sequel. But I do wonder how three years down the road I'll look back on them and maybe, you know, maybe I'll gauge them differently. Only time will tell. Hmm. Okay. All right. Only time will tell. Uh, and you know who's got going to be messing with time is Kang the Conqueror <laughs> is going to come out and he's going to mess with all the timelines and Loki's going to be all sad and I cannot wait. Um, that is it for this spoiler-filled discussion for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. If you enjoyed it, please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And if you want to write into your into, into your show, you could write into your show. If you want to write into our show <laughs> uh, with your thoughts on this movie or any of the movies or shows we cover, uh, I'm going to pour this purple juice down, down Darcy's mouth right now. Open up, Darcy. I'm going to pour it right down there, and I it's, it's going to give I you the strength that you need to Tell our listeners where they can reach us. I don't know if I want the, the purple juice. If you just say purple juice, it makes me think of other things. That I don't, like Kool-Aid that might have something else in it. Anyways, uh, uh, they can always reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Or if that's too much like waging war with uh, an underwater culture that you know nothing about, you can always reach us over on Twitter at geekcentricyt or on Instagram at wearegeekcentric. And if it is too much like waging war against an underwater culture that you know nothing about, please write in and let us know what's going on in your life because that sounds... Uh, you gotta tell us about that. Maybe we'll make a movie about it with a with a, a big boat battle at the end. Uh, keep in <laughs> mind, we have uh, a ton of other episodes covering the latest and greatest movies and shows out now, like our recent spoiler free reviews for Mythic Quest season three, Zootopia Plus. Blockbuster, Wendell and Wild, Tales of the Jedi, Clerks 3, and Black Adam. We also have a ton of interviews, like our most recent interview that I mentioned earlier in the show uh, with Mabel Cadena and Alex Livinali, who we, we think should have gotten more screen time in this movie, uh, playing Namora and Atuma. Uh, and uh, you can tune into that here on podcast services, of any sub podcast service you want, uh, or you can watch the interview, as well as all of our other interviews, on YouTube at youtube.com slash geek centric kevin darcy thank you so much for joining me for this uh this what should we say this this phase ending review that's what we'll say uh <laughs> mm-hmm. and as we say love ya laters get home safe guys <laughs>